The Catholic Church does not reinvent itself. The Catholic Church doesn't do paradigm shifts. That's a fundamental mistake people make. Welcome to the Edify Podcast, where our guests share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest today on Edify is author, theologian, and commentator, George Weigel. I'd like to focus on your new book. What made you write it? The new book is called To Sanctify the World, The Vital Legacy of Vatican II. And I wrote it uh, for the 60th anniversary of the opening of the council because there is still immense confusion in the church and the world about Vatican II. Okay, let me just stop you there. Why is there so much confusion about Vatican II? I agree with you 100% on that. You could stop 10 Catholics coming out of your average parish on a Sunday morning, and each would give you a different viewpoint or explanation of what Vatican II is. Why is there so much confusion? In part because of a media distortion of the council as uh, an occasion in which the Catholic Church reinvented itself. The Catholic Church does not reinvent itself. The Catholic Church doesn't do paradigm shifts. The Catholic Church does do development of doctrine, development of its own self-understanding. That's a fundamental mistake people make. There is uh, further confusion because many vibrant young Catholics today, experiencing a lot of air turbulence in the church in the past decade, think that's all the fault of Vatican II. Well, that's just not true either. So I hope to show in this book, first of all, why the council was necessary, what was John XXIII's original intention, to borrow a phrase from constitutional law interpretation. Secondly, what did the council actually teach and, and why did it teach that? And third, I try to demonstrate how the authoritative interpretation of the council came from John Paul II and Benedict XVI, who as younger men had been influential figures in the Second Vatican Council. All right. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I think that would come as news to many Catholics, that St. John Paul II and uh, the Holy Father Pope Benedict would have been so active as younger priests and theologians, who, but they were very much contributors to the documents that came out of Vatican II, were they not? Karol Wojtyla, first as auxiliary bishop of Krakow, later as archbishop of Krakow, was a significant force at the council. He had a major impact on writing what's called the Pastoral Constitution on the Church and the Modern World. And I think he was responsible for making sure that the council taught that Jesus Christ reveals both the face of the Father of Mercies, we know who God is because of Christ, mm -hmm. and the truth about our humanity. You have studied and written and met with St. John Paul II. There's probably no American um, alive today who really knew him inside and out in the, in the way that you did, nor certainly wrote about him in the way that you have been able to um, in such an in-depth way. Why do you think he, among all the bishops, auxiliaries, and otherwise, uh, in the world. Why do you think St. John Paul II was chosen at that time? Had he already begun to emerge as a brilliant theologian? Was it because they wanted someone from um, an Eastern European country to represent that part of the church? What, what was it that sort of brought him to the forefront um, and led him to Rome to participate so intimately in it? Well, he was elected pope in 1978, 13 years after the council, as one of the most widely known churchmen in the world. He had been at all four sessions of Vatican II. 
He had participated in every but one of the synods of bishops uh, that had been held in the, in the years after the council. He had given the retreat to the Roman Curia in 1976. The New York Times might not have known who Carol Wojtyla was, but the, the relevant people, the people we electing knew, the Pope, we knew, knew him here in Chicago because he came to Chicago well, when he was still go. a cardinal. So I, there, that this is a what this else? Is do, a what else does one need to say? He's windy city centric right. view of the world. That's right. But let me just go back to Ratzinger for a minute. We yes, didn't please. give him his due. Right. Through. Working on this book, uh, which was the culmination of, I don't know, 40 years of study of the Second Vatican Council, I came to the view that, that Joseph Ratzinger, at the ripe age of 35, had been one of the three most influential theologians at the council. He had a profound effect on shaping the central document of Vatican II, the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. And he shaped many other major themes in the Second Vatican Council. So he and John Paul II were in a unique position to give the council an authoritative interpretation. If you had to suggest to the average Catholic layperson who wants to just get a grip on what Vatican II was and how it applies to them now, what, what would be the one document that, that you would suggest that they read that would really be accessible? to the average lay Catholic? I think there are two, actually. The one I just mentioned, the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, which speaks about God coming into history, revealing himself first to the people of Israel, the Jewish people, mm -hmm. later coming into history in the person of the Son, right. the second person of the, of, of the Trinity. And the reality of that, I mean, the, the Second Vatican Council insists that divine revelation is real. This is not storyland. It's mm -hmm. not fiction. It's not myth. This is all real, and it's binding today. What God said to us in the scripture, in the authoritative tradition of the church, is binding today. Mm -hmm. We don't know more than God does. Right. And the second document that I would suggest people read is the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, which is a beautiful, biblically informed reflection on the Church as the template, mm -hmm. or as the Council Fathers put it, the sacrament of authentic human community. Mm -hmm. You want to know what a community of people of all kinds looks like. Right. It's the Eucharistically centered church. One of the things you talk about when, when we're talking about the sanctification of the world is the role of the laity in sanctifying the world through living out their married lives, through their living out their single lives or as students or what have you, are all contributing to the sanctification of the world. It reminds me a little of something Cardinal George had said once, you know, that what, what the world needs is yes, holy priests and holy bishops, but we also need holy cab drivers and holy carpenters, and holy grade school teachers. You know, that it was the job of the laity to bring that kind of sanctification to people that the average pope or bishop or cardinal or priest might not ever encounter. And if it's not too much to ask of the Holy Spirit, holy politicians. Right, there you go, everything. Holy public officials. Right. Second Vatican Council recovered a classic idea in Christianity that everyone is a missionary. Mm -hmm. Missionaries are not just brave people who go to exotic places to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. Uh, 
Each of us at baptism becomes a missionary disciple. Each of us is given the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. And we can do that at the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. We can do that in the community association. We can do that in our lives as consumers, our lives as citizens. It's all mission all the time, and everywhere is mission territory. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what John XXIII wanted Vatican II to do. Mm -hmm. rekindle the fervor, the passion of Christ-centered faith that sent those first Christians out into the world on a mission of conversion. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, John the Twenty-Third. I remember when the cause for his canonization was first introduced and, you know, as it, as it progressed, there were some objections in some quarters saying, no, what he really, what he did maybe unwittingly, but maybe very consciously, was to sort of unleash this turmoil in the church that's still reverberating today. What would you say to, to someone who might say that to you about John XXIII? I would say read his opening address to Vatican II, mm -hmm. which is the single most important prism through which to understand his intention for the council. And what's the first thing he says is the council's primary responsibility it is to safeguard and announce the church's enduring sacred deposit of truth. Right. It's not to reinvent the Catholicism. That is simply right. nonsense perpetrated in part by media sources, but also we have to admit by some Catholics who seem to think we are able to reinvent the church. I'm sorry, Christ gave the church its form, its structure, its essential truths, and we don't know better. So why do you think then that so many people emphasize that what John the Twenty-Third wanted to do was to open up the windows in the church and let the light in, as if, as if there was something almost sinister before that? Again, I believe it was very well-meaning, but where did that particular take on it, which I think you still hear to this day on Vatican II, that it was meant to open the windows, bring in the fresh air and the light. Well, it wasn't, a question, so of, it wasn't a question of something sinister in the preconciliar church, but it was a question of something stale. Ah. And the church had become awfully self-satisfied, mm. awfully defensive, had lost a lot of evangelical edge. Mm. And people assumed that Christian faith would be transmitted from generation to generation by your being Irish or Bavarian or Polish or French or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't going to happen under the conditions of modernity. Uh, moreover, some things within the church had gotten out of kilter. I mean, Catholicism has an architecture. And when some of the pieces of that architecture get detached from other pieces— you get in trouble. The papacy had gotten isolated within the church. Mm. The clergy and the laity had gotten separated, and we had lost the sense that we are one people of God, clergy and laity together. Uh, Marian theology mm -hmm. had gotten somewhat detached from salvation history, mm. rather than Mary being the paradigm of, of authentic discipleship. So there needed to be some reconfiguration of this essential architecture of the church. And that was what was prepared in the early, in the first half of the 20th century, which helped make Vatican II possible.
But Mary, when people use this word aggiornamento, updating, mm -hmm. about the council, and John 23rd did use that word, they should complement it always with a phrase of Paul VI, the second pope of the council, in his opening address to the second session of the council, in which he talked about renewal in the church always being a matter of approfondimento continuo, continual deepening. We don't start from scratch. We don't make up something new. We continually deepen our understanding of the tradition that has been handed on to us for two millennia. Now, that's, right. that was a hard message to hear in the hyperventilated late 60s when there was a fantastic distrust of any traditional authority. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the council landed when it did right. was not helpful to a calm reception of right. it. In your Edify video that you that you did, um, you talk about a concept of radical hope, of having radical hope, which reminded me when I heard you say it of St. John Paul II's call for radical solidarity, um, especially when he was talking about, this was in Crossing the, th uh, the Threshold of Hope, um, when he was talking about in rejecting pro-choice, it is necessary to become courageously pro-woman and to stand in radical solidarity with that woman. It is not right to leave her alone. Is that sort of radical solidarity and radical hope? Is that, is that the same? Um, are those two in the same is what I'm asking. Does that come from the thought of St. John Paul II? We can live in radical solidarity with people in crisis, whether it's crisis pregnancies or family crises or national crises because of the hope that is within us, which is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. That's the fundamental source of Christian hope. Christian hope is not optimism. Optimism is optics, and things can look different from one minute to the next. Christian hope is rooted in faith, faith in, as St. Paul put it, the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me and was raised from the dead, in order to demonstrate how the human story is going to turn out. Mm. That's the source of our hope and our solidarity. Mm -hmm. And it's not left-right. Uh, our friend, uh, your great friend, my friend, Cardinal Francis George, at his first press conference as Archbishop of Chicago, was asked, are you a liberal or a conservative? <laughs> and he brilliantly said, the church is not about left and right. The church is about true and false. Right. And that was certainly something that John Paul II believed as well. Right. No, I remember that that press conference very well. But he too, I, you know, very much immersed in the in the documents of Vatican II coming through. You know, his own training as a bishop and as a and as an oblate of Mary Immaculate. So um, I, I just felt the way they he lived it out and John Paul lived it out, though kind of differently, had that similar kind of you know, enthusiasm and, and you say, you know, that that inspiration to go out into the world and not to self-isolate. The essential historical truth to know about ecumenical councils, there have only been 21 of them in right. the history of the church, is that they all began in controversy, were conducted in controversy, and were followed by controversy. There is nothing new about this. It seems to just be the nature of these exercises. And it's also true that it takes the church probably 100 years to digest the teaching of a major ecumenical council. 
For example, the, the Council of Trent in the 16th century set the pattern of Catholic life from the late 16th century to the middle of the 20th century. Right. But that didn't happen all at once. Right. It's not like in 1590, everybody snapped to attention and say, okay, this is how we're gonna do this. It took a hundred years yeah. for the Council of Trent to work its way into the texture of Catholic life. The important thing to see in the church today, I think, is that the living parts of the world church, wherever, around the world, mm -hmm. Africa, Asia, North America, are the parts that have embraced the true meaning of Vatican II as a summons to radical Christocentric discipleship and mission and are getting on with living that. And the dying parts of the world church are the ones who are constantly trying and failing to make this business I've called Catholic light mm -hmm. work. Catholic light never works. Right. Catholic light leads to Catholic zero. Well, in, the, in that vein, how do you um, encourage um, young Catholic parents, like your own children and other young pa parents of young children, to, to really um, make certain that their kids don't grow up with Catholic light, that they have this full experience of what it means to be a Catholic child and then young, you know, young person and young adult in the world? How do you keep a solidly Catholic family and household? Um, prayer. Mm -hmm. Regular Community. attendance at Mass today right. together. So the communal prayer yeah. in the home. Yeah. And I think we have so many wonderful materials that parents can share with children today. Mm -hmm. uh, our friend Bishop Robert Barron's Catholicism series. Kids today learn a lot visually. Right. That's, that's the most compelling visual presentation of Catholic faith mm -hmm. and practice ever made. Uh, my book, Letters to a Young Catholic, has been out for almost 20 years now mm -hmm. and continues to, much to my satisfaction, uh, help high school students, college students, right. experience the fullness of Catholicism. Right. Uh, and then I would say young people need an experience of Catholic community uh, because you know in this culture it can be a little bit lonely and you can feel a little weird uh, holding on to these gospel truths. So um, the experience of, of a really good campus ministry at a university, uh, a very good youth program in your parish, I think that's an essential part of, of preserving and developing and deepening the faith in young mm -hmm. people today. I, you know, and the one thing I do love in the modern church is that we have so many now either beatified or canonized younger saints, you know, right. whether it's Carlos Actius or Chiara Lucia Badano or, you know, Pierre Giorgio, we have now younger role models, which I really think is, that's, that's a big help too, especially when you're going through the awful picking of the confirmation name, you know, and to be able to present to a seventh or eighth grader, you know, here's some, someone who looks a little like you do even yeah, right yeah. now. So, yeah, well, great. this is what your, is this your 22nd book? 29th. Your 29th actually. book. Oh, I'm who's sorry. I, yeah, who's got, that's right. What, what, just as we wrap up here, what's what's your hope that this book, um, you know, you've written so much and you're, you're so prolific. What's your very specific hope for this book? That it helps a generation of Catholics for whom the Second Vatican Council is ancient history. Two generations of Catholics learn why the council was necessary, what it actually taught, and what its 
authentic interpretation looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I hope this book is going to be in play for a long time. Well, George Weigel, thank you with all the many things that, that you're doing all over the country, all over the world, my goodness, to make time for us here at Edify. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.